past. What's like, if I wanted to just go out and start, can you describe like the basic cast? Well, it's tough to explain over the radio, but what I would say is... Describe it with your hands. (laughs) That was the sound of your hands. That's amazing. Uh, What I would tell you to do is is go... Welcome back to OSP. This is Drew and Brian, and today we are discussing fly fishing. Uh, The season's about to start, and if you've ever had any kind of interest in fly fishing, this is a good episode to check out. Uh, We're going to cover just the basics. So types of fly fishing, the gear that you need to get started, proper fish handling, how do you read the water and resources, and a little bit of other odds and ends. Um, I can't begin to say enough about how much I have gotten into the sport over the last few years, and it's just a great way to explore and be in our natural spaces that we're lucky to be around. Well, I'm I'm more excited because last week we did the Brewing for Dummies episode. Yeah. Brewing for Dummies by Dummies. And <laughs> Drew was... Drew, <laughs> Drew was... Uh, he doesn't know much about beer. And though I've been fishing my most of my life, I've never I've never really fly fished too much. Yeah, and I think that's a common story for a lot of people that live around our area. And I like both. I still fish like a conventional or gear setup, and I like to fly fish. It's just another way to fish. And I think fly fishing in certain applications can be more challenging and takes a little bit of time to learn. But for those reasons, I think it's kind of fun. Yeah, and like you were saying earlier, in Lewis, around Lewiston, Clark, Minnesota, there's not a whole lot of places to fly fish right here. You kind of have to travel out a little bit. Yep. So I think I've talked to a lot of people who kind of are in that same boat where mm-hmm. they like the idea of fly fishing, but maybe haven't gotten out there yet. Yeah. And it can be yeah. a little intimidating, which is why I'm glad we're doing this, is because we'll just do a basic run-through, and then I, I can kind of have a heads-up yeah. on what to do. And I think what I would like to do, too, with this episode is dispel some of the myths, like you've got to be some rich, snobby old guy to get into fly fishing. That's just absolutely not true. Uh, you can spend a couple hundred dollars and get out there and start. It's a little bit of money up front, but... It's worth it. Yeah. Well, before we get to that, uh, I know I know there's a lot of events that we want to talk about that are happening this week. And when yeah. we were looking for which events we wanted to talk about, we were just impressed about the whole list of things that are happening. So we're not even going to mention half of what's going on this weekend. We just yeah. thought we'd mention what we uh, looked fun. Yeah. And on brand with this week's episode, um, North 40 always has fly tying classes every weekend. So definitely go check those out. It's free. Um, You just need to purchase the equipment, I believe. But yeah, head up to North 40 and get yourself into one of their fly tying classes if you're interested in starting fly fishing after this episode. But other than that, we've got at Pareja Cellars in Clarkston, uh, Tilly Sue Celebration Wine Release at 5 p.m. on Friday. And what that is is they'll have people, they'll have this event that goes on where mm-hmm. they'll have people bring their dogs in to be the face of a wine. Oh, that's awesome. And so I'll let you know next time you do the competition. Drew has two adorable uh, miniature, mi- are they, one's a miniature bolt, 
terrier. Yeah. And the other one's regular size, which yeah. is still pretty miniature. Yeah, well. What are their names? They're still beefy. <laughs> Max is like 60 pounds and Opal's probably like 40. So yeah. Max and Opal, Max is the little tanks, the full size, and then Opal's the mini. Those are cool dogs. But They're yeah, fun. bring them into Prejas and then you have they take pictures and then you have your friends and family go vote uh, for your their dog and that's what this Tilly Sue hmm. wine release. So who was playing there? That's awesome. I did not know about that. Uh, I don't know who's playing. I think it was Aaron Saruti or Shania. Shania plays on Friday. And then Aaron plays Saturday. Yep, okay. that's right. And then also going on Friday is the Sip Swing and Support Our Community that supports Twin County United Way. That's Friday at 7 p.m. at Lindsay Creek Vineyards. There's also a family breakfast and book fair on Friday at 8 a.m. at Highland Elementary in Clarkston. And then also Friday, KMAC presents 20s Burlesque at Brock's. So that's Friday (laughs) at 6 p.m. at Brock's Town Square. And then Saturday... Saturday, Aaron plays at Parejas, like we mentioned. That's at 1 o'clock. Um, Looks like there is prices Right live at the Clearwater River Casino at 7 p.m. on Saturday. Oh, we were talking about this one. It sounded pretty cool, actually. The Four Elements of Dharma. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. Saturday at 9 a.m. at Deja Vu Studio in Lewiston. Uh, we've also got... HFS 2020, love the wine you're with, uh, and brew tasting, that's Saturday at 6 p.m. at Basalt Cellars and Winery in Clarkston. Then if you didn't catch it on Friday, you can catch it Saturday. The KMAC presents 20's Burlesque at Brock's. That's a six. double feature. Double feature. And the bed spins will be in John's Alley in Moscow also. Nice. And didn't you say the maple bars are also planned? Yeah, I think that's on the Friday, Friday, but I'm going to double check. Okay. And I think that's going to be kind of the ones we mentioned this week. There Again, there's a lot going on. So just check out uh, our post on Facebook if you want to see those again and just look them up yourself on Facebook. There's tons to, tons to see. Right. So the Maple Bars are playing Friday at John's Alley, but ho- our hope is that eventually we'll just have people, enough people message us events that they want to be sent out and those will be the ones we read. Yeah. Yeah. That would be really cool because... We're kind of just running and gunning off of Facebook and like Inland 360 calendar for events to give to you guys. So this is really accessible. You can find it yourself, but we're just consolidating for you. Let's get to it and do it. I'm so excited to learn about fly fishing and all the equipment I'll need and all the places to go and things to learn. So Drew, why don't you get us started? Um, I want to fly fish. What do I do? Well, first you need to consider kind of what type of fly fishing you want to do. And what I'm basically going to talk about today is dry fly fishing or surface fishing. Uh, 95% of the fishing that you're going to do in terms of fly fishing can and will be done with a dry fly setup. And that's just something that floats on top of the water? It is. Okay. So again, that's going to be surface fishing. Um, and what, what we're talking about with flies in general here is bugs. I mean, that's what fish are going to eat. So getting into a little bit of entomology and learning about hatch cycles is really important. Also, you don't have to, 
you can go into a fly shop and learn really quickly what flies are best. And we're going to discuss some of those flies here later on in the show. But just to talk about a few different types of fly fishing in this area that you could do, again, there's dry fly fishing that's on the surface. Then you can get into subsurface fly fishing as well. This is going to be nymphs and streamers. So the nymph, again, is just a subsurface hatch cycle of at various different insects and then streamer fishing is more closely related to uh like bait fish so sculpin patterns but then you can also get into crayfish patterns and those are for a lot bigger fish and it's kind of more of a specialty thing it's something that i would say that you're gonna probably graduate up to after you hone in your skills as a dry fly fisher um, but those are, those are the big ones around here. There's a lot of different kinds you can do. I mean, you can get into saltwater fly fishing where you're going to fish stuff that I don't even really know about. But I mean, again, that's all kind of specialty stuff. And today we're focusing mostly on the basics for what you need around our area. Well, you might want to mention this later. So let me know if, if you'd rather talk about this on down the road, but what, what is a fly made out of? Like, what are, what do you make a fly out of? Or is this something you want to cover in a little bit? That's a good question. Um, I didn't really talk about materials of fly too much, but it is something to consider. Um, it depends on what kind of fly you're going to fish. So some flies are made out of synthetics like foam. Um, other flies, most flies are made out of either some kind of animal hair, like deer hair, elk hair. Um, those are two really common ones. Some people use moose hair even. Um, but really, you can make a fly out of whatever you want. Deer and elk hair is common. Then feathers mm. or hackle is another really common thing that you're going to use. Um, would, uh, if, I'm, if I'm short moose hair, would my wife's hair work? You could use in it. In a pinch? You could try it. All right. I don't know how well it would sit on the surface. That would be more of a subsurface fly, but you can definitely use it. <laughs> well, good to know. Good to know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Go ahead. I was tying some streamers the other weekend, and uh, my mom is a hair hairdresser, and I thought, man, I wonder if you could use like somebody's hair extension mm. to tie a fly with. You'll have to let us know. Yeah. Or dog hair. Dog, dog hair, hair might work good, dog too. Dog hair might work good, yeah. Uh, so back to the gear, um, kind of what you need just to get started. You're obviously going to need a rod, a reel, fly line, leader, and tippet material, and then your flies. That's the basics. So there's a couple different materials that you can get in terms of a rod. There's graphite, fiberglass, and bamboo. Graphite is going to be what you're going to want to get. Um, it's just the best, most durable, most effective cheapest option fiberglass and bamboo are kind of more specialty uh they have their time and place but if you're just going out and getting started today go and get a graphite rod um for around here for a basic setup you're going to want a nine foot rod and you're going to want it to be a five weight so is a five weight i mean does it literally weigh like five pounds or something no five ounces no or so I don't really know what that grade is other than it's basically the tensile strength of that rod sure. comparatively to others. So okay. it starts at one or no weight. Mm -hmm. So that would be for catching like little teensy tiny brook trout that fit in the palm of your hand. Right. And it'll go all the way up to 10, 11 weight. And that's for catching steelhead salmon, at least oh, in I our see. area. So higher the weight bigger the fish basically so you want something that's kind of just in the middle yep five perfect. weight is perfect for around here um 
I mean, you can land anything on it from, again, like I said, a brook trout, which is tiny, to a steelhead if you were really careful and, and took your time and you didn't horse the fish. You could land a steelhead on a five weight. Nice. Well, I knew we were doing a fly fishing episode this week, so I read a couple articles on fly fishing just to kind of bone up. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I see on here you have uh, uh, brands. Of yeah. rods, and they they mentioned uh, if you if you walk into the store and ask about the new Sage Five Weight, you know, then they'll know you know what you're talking about. And I see right. Sage is listed here on one of the brands. Yeah, so Sage is typically not going to be an entry level rod. No, I see you have yeah. it listed here as more expensive. Yeah, so if you're going in and buying your first fly rod, what I would recommend is looking at a few different brands like Reddington, Echo, TFO. Um, Orvis is typically expensive, but they do have an encounter series and that goes from rods to reels to waders and boots. And it is a great product for the price. And there's also loop. That's another really good affordable brand. Um, and then you can get into some more expensive brands, which would be like Winston or Sage, as you mentioned, right? Douglas, G. Loomis. There's a bunch of really, really expensive rods. That's G. Loomis, not Gloomis. Yeah, G. Loomis. I prefer Gloomis. <laughs> That's how it'll be forever hereforth known. Um, and I, w- I would look at the Reddington Vice. Yeah. I think that that is the best sort of all-around fly rod for around here for a great price. What's an estimate on that price for that rod? It's around $200. Okay. So comparatively to like we were talking about with sage i bet they can get pretty expensive thousand dollars and up pretty easy yeah um i'm kind of an insane moron and i bought a winston as my first fly rod uh however at the time i did work at an outdoor store so i got a really hefty discount on it but it was still kind of a risk because i didn't know if i was even going to like fly fishing but i thought i would just start with something really nice that i could have for the rest of my life but Honestly, you don't need to do that. And sure. I wouldn't have done that without the discount. All right. So I've got my rod. Yep. Obviously, I'm going to need more than just this unless I want to whack them. You're going to need a reel. So that's the next thing you want to get. Um, and your reel is going to be a lot more different from a conventional or gear setup like I was talking about. Um that's what most people are learning on, of course. Right. Those uh, you kind of turn the crank and it spins up and down and wraps the line. Exactly. Yep. So... The difference here is that your reel, and you should always purchase a large arbor reel. That's one thing I should say. It's just a bigger arbor, which holds your fly line. It makes it easier to wrap the line up. Um, Your reel in this case is not going to be what you're fighting the fish with, unless if you're fishing for a really large fish that's going to take your line out of your hand and then get onto the reel. Because mm. what's happening when you're casting is you're taking either your right or left hand, depending on what hand you're dominant on, and holding that fly line in your hand and pulling some out to cast out further each time. Um, so when by the time you get a fish on and your fly is out in the current, you probably got a loop of fly line that's laying beside you that could be I don't know, 10, 20 feet long. Oh, yeah. So unless that fish is really strong and it can swim upstream or downstream, to most likely downstream, to get that line, that slack caught up, you're mostly going to fight it with your hand and that fly line. 
So that's the difference. And I've seen them. They're more uh, circular um, compared to the traditional kind. The fly line itself? Yeah. Or the reel? The reel. Yeah. So the reel, again, is basically just kind of like a big spool. It does have a handle on it. You can reel a fish in with it. But again, you're mostly going to... you're going to fight that fish with your hand and that fly line. Okay. Your reel is just a means of holding your fly line system. That's the way I kind of describe it. Gotcha. Um, and, and your reel can be made out of different things, and that's usually going to dictate the price. So die cast, machined aluminum, and plastic are common materials that you can find reels made out of. Um, and they've got pluses and minuses for each, again, Cost is one of them. Uh, Die-cast aluminum is is a good option, and that's a good option to get straight out of the gate if you're just starting. Um, it's going to be a durable reel. It's going to be a little bit better than plastic. Um, however, if you do drop it or let's say you step on it against a rock or something, there is a good chance that you'll bend that thing and possibly break it. Whereas with a machined reel, that's not as likely. And then plastic, of course, it's lightweight, it's more affordable, but it's probably going to break and it's probably not going to last you as long as die cast or machined. Okay. So if you're looking at getting a good inexpensive reel, again, Reddington is a good brand. Um, North 40 has their own set of reels. It's called Montucky. And they have machined reels for a really good price. I think like $125. Um, and then again, Orvis has that encounter series, so you can get an Orvis encounter reel for a good price. Right. Um, and then if you want to get a more expensive reel, you can check out stuff from like Ross, Bauer, Hatch. Um, there's Waterworks Lamson, which is made in Idaho. I would highly recommend those reels. That's what I fish. Um, Sage is another, again, really expensive brand that's really good quality. And those guys are semi-local in that they're in the Northwest. They're made out of Bainbridge Island and oh, okay. Seattle area. Um, but really where you shouldn't skimp on the money is your fly line. And that's because if you have a crummy fly line, you can't get your fly to the fish, might as well stay home. Right, because the fly line's much different than fishing line. Right. Because it's a little thicker. It's a different material, isn't it? It is. And then usually it's colored. It is. And that's for a floating fly line, which is, again, what we're talking about here. Okay. So your floating fly line is going to have something attached to it, which is called tippet or in, in a leader, uh, which we'll talk about just after this, which is more traditionally associated with what people think about as fishing line. Right. But your fly line, again, is part of that system of you delivering your fly to that fish. So I would expect to spend about $100 to $120. And the reason why is these more expensive fly lines truly are more durable. They have coatings on them typically so that it keeps that line floating. If you don't take proper care of your fly line and you beat the heck out of it, it's going to develop cracks and it'll start to sink. And if you're if you're doing surface fishing, I mean, obviously, you don't want your line to sink. So some good brands to get, um, in this case, again, are Rio. Rio is made in Idaho as well. It's probably some of the best fly line and leader to get. And I just think it's really cool that it's made in Idaho. 
Um, Airflow is another great company. Scientific anglers or a lot of industry people will refer to it just as SA. So if you hear people talk about SA, they're referring to scientific anglers. Um, But again, I really would probably spend about $100 to $120 on a fly line. And that's just so you're not replacing it all the time? Yeah. If you have a good fly line that you take care of and you get like a dressing kit and you clean it regularly, um, it's going to last for several years, depending on how much you fish. As opposed to a few months if you spend just a little bit of money on these cheaper ones. Oh, really? But if you want to get a good, cheaper fly line, Scientific Anglers makes one called Aircell. It's not bad, but it's not the best. Um, but another tip that I would give about about your fly line is every once in a while, take it out and just stretch it. They have about a 25 to 30% stretch rate. So yeah. just take an arm's length and pull it relatively hard and just stretch it out until you get further down into the fly line where you're probably not going to be casting that part. And that's another thing I should say about these fly lines is that they're all tapered. So your whole fly system is tapered from your shoulder to your hand, to the rod, to the tippet, to the fly. Everything is a tapered system. Okay. And that's just to deliver the energy effectively from your arm to that fly. So you're saying you don't want a big old fat ball on the end of your pole? Not unless if you're set up for that. And that would include a much heavier line and rod and reel and so on and so forth. Okay. But um, it's like expecting a 10-year-old kid to be able to push a bus up a hill. It's just not going to happen. Right. But a 10-year-old kid might be able to push his bike up a hill. Well, how far can the average Joe cast a fly line? Um, You know, probably 50 feet. But 50 feet. really, you don't need to cast much further than that. There's... Not any reason to unless you get into something that's called spay casting or two-handed fishing. And that's mostly going to be for salmon and steelhead. Okay. Um, But again, that's kind of more of a specialty thing. And this is more just for basics. Like if you want to go and catch trout, bass um, around our area. Oh, okay. So we've got our rod. Yep. We've got our reel. Mm -hmm. We've picked out... uh, We've picked out the fly line, mm-hmm. uh, and we've spent a little money on it, so it lasts us. So you got this fly line, and it's this colored thing, but you don't put the fly right onto the fly line, do you? No. So that's, again, where your leader and your tippet's going to come in, that stuff that I was talking about earlier. So okay, your fly line is going to have a loop-to-loop connection to your leader. And it's just exactly what it sounds like. Your leader is going to have a loop on the end of it, and your fly line is going to have a loop on the end of it. You do what's called a friendship knot from your leader. That to sounds your fly nice. Line. <laughs> Descri- if you could describe, okay, try to describe how you do a friendship knot in so words. You just fish that leader yeah. through the fly line, those uh-huh. two loops, and then pull the other end of the fly line, or not the fly line, the, t- the leader through that loop and just pull it tight. Gosh, I feel That's like if you is. gave me a leader and a tippet, I could I could I could give us friendship. It's the simplest thing. <laughs> and if if you do have trouble with it, honestly just YouTube it. It's it's super easy. Oh yeah, YouTube's handy. Um but but what it is again is uh it's like mono. It's 
pretty much just like if you were going to use fishing line. It's like fishing line, but it's tapered down. So the you have your butt section, which is what hooks onto your fly line. Okay. And it's a little bit thicker, and then it tapers down to your tippet. Ah. And that's thinner. So again, everything is about tapers. So eventually what's going to happen while you're going to want tippet to tie on to your leader is because as you cut off your fly and tie on a new one over and over again, it's going to get into the point where it's in that thicker section, your butt section. Uh-huh. And that's when you're going to want to tie on more tippet. So is tippet more similar to regular fishing line? Yes. Okay. Yep. And you're going to want probably around here 5X, 6X, 3X, and 4X. Um, those are different type or different sizes of tippet. And I'm assuming you say uh, for around here, is that due to the type of fish that we're fishing for around here? Yeah. And I mean, really that's applicable to almost anywhere in the United States. Okay. Um, But if you go to like, uh, (laughs) if you go to China, you're going to need a a different type of. I don't know. Cause I don't know what kind of fish they have there. No. But um, what about, let's say if you went to New Zealand, ah, you're going to need the same because you're going to be fishing for trout there, just like you're fishing for trout here. All right. So U.S. and New Zealand, you're going to need what? What did you say? Five something? You're going to want anywhere from 5X, 6X, 4X, 3X. Probably mm-hmm. those are going to be what you're going to want. Yeah. Well, if I get to a 2X, I'm going to have to start exercising. All right. All right. <laughs> so, so what kind of fish do we have around here? So around here, what I fish for, I mean, what pretty much anybody would fish for around here would be trout. Mm-hmm. And there's several different varieties, of course. You could fish from anything from a brook trout to a rainbow trout, bull trout. Um, if you went into Montana or southern Idaho, you can catch brown trout. Mm. Um, and then there's also bass. We've got smallmouth. Um, and that's that's kind of what I'm targeting Okay, most of the time. So, yeah, go ahead. But otherwise, like I said, if you wanted to get into salmon and steelhead, obviously we have those here too. Okay. And I bet the type of fish that we're fishing for kind of goes into what kind of flies you would need. Yeah. And also the flies that you're fishing, the size of fly and what it's made out of. So again, we're making a tapered system. So if you're trying to throw a big fly, you're going to need a thicker line because it's going to need to be able to deliver line and tip it you're going to need to be able to deliver that energy effectively because right. if you've got something really wimpy behind a huge fly it's not going to push it so uh that's why you're going to want different diameters of leader and tippet material sure and you always want to match your tippet material to the size of your leader so you can go buy leaders that are those same sizes as your tippet material. And your tippet material is on a spool. It's like a little thin spool. I keep several varieties on my sling pack, which I store all my fly fishing accessories in. So it's handy that I can just cut off a chunk and tie it on. So it's it's your your fanny pack. It's essentially a fanny pack, yes. Is it is your wicker? Like I've seen a river runs through it. <laughs> All right. If you wanted to do it the old school way, you could get yeah. a basket. Yeah. No, but you have a sling pack is what yep. it's called. And you said you fill it with accessories. Yeah. So that could be anything from my fly box to my license to 
lunch to tip and material, <laughs> a camera, whatever you want to put in there. Well, okay, so I've seen those guys, they keep all their flies like on their vest or on their hat. You could do you a could, vest. You could probably keep them in your, in your sling uh, in like a little box or something. Yeah, you can just buy a little fly box and put it in the pocket of your jeans if you wanted to. So if you're out there and I see you... And I knock you over and I steal your sling. Mm -hmm. What kind of flies am I going to find in there? (laughs) Well, it's going to depend on what I'm targeting and what what type of fly fishing I'm looking to do that day. But commonly for us around here, I would say that you're going to be safe with a royal wolf, royal coachman, renegade, woolly bugger. Um, <laughs> that's that was my nickname in high school. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, an Adams parachute Adams. Um, those are all going to be more of your traditional dry flies, and that again is going to be stuff that's made out of like hackle or feathers um, and deer or elk hair, and you know it might have some other stuff on it like calf tail, but. When you get into your synthetics, that's going to be something like a chubby Chernobyl. And that's a, <laughs> a what? Chubby Chernobyl. Can you spell? No. <laughs> it's just like Chernobyl, like yeah, uh, just chubby. the horrible incident <laughs> with the nuclear reactors. Does that have an interesting color to it or something? It can. Okay. Um, it could be really whatever color you want it to be. They're, they're made out of craft foam. So okay. they float really nice and you can see them really well. All right. They don't necessarily resemble anything like your other flies will. Um, because when you're fly fishing, you want to, what people would say, refer to as matching the hatch. Ah, you got to match the hatch. You match the hatch. And that, that's basically saying that you're trying to match whatever fly is out and fishable at that time that fish are likely to be eating. So sometimes they'll take something like a chubby Chernobyl. Sometimes they'll take something like a parachute atoms let's say yeah it just really depends and part of the mystery of fly fishing and the fun of it i think is trying different flies and seeing what sticks because one day one fly might be awesome and the next not at all um but then if you want to try doing some subsurface fishing which you can and will do with a floating fly line um you can get a pheasant tail nymph or some prince nymphs those are two really effective patterns that probably everybody should have. Um, you're just going to want probably some split shot, which is weight or like little oh, pieces yeah. of lead. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're going to want a strike indicator, which is basically a fancy way of saying... Is that a bobber? Yep. It's just a fancy way of calling it a bobber. Um, so those are some great flies to always have. Well, I imagine you're also going to want stuff like a, a knife and maybe some pliers as well yeah so what i typically maybe have a net or something you're gonna want a net um that's definitely key to fish handling what we're gonna get into oh, here okay. in a second um you know you could land a fish and get get it off your hook without a net but because yeah, we're not using barbed hooks when we do this no you always want to crimp your barbs right um and to crimp your barbs with you're going to want either pliers. Pliers, nailed it. You're going to want pliers or you're going to want forceps. And oh. I, I usually keep both. Well, you are dating a nurse. <laughs> so I imagine you do have some. My grandma was a nurse. She had her forceps out and ready at a moment's notice. There you go. Um, and then you're going to want, like I said, some split shot. You can buy it in a little pack. It comes in a bunch of different sizes. Um, again, you're going to want to buy 
some strike indicators probably if you want to get into nymph fishing. Um, and there are different styles of nymphing that do not require you to have strike indicators or even split shot like Euro nymphing. But again, that's kind of more of a specialty thing that you'll get into down the road. Uh, but get yourself a fly box, get yourself either a vest or a sling pack like we talked about earlier. And zingers. Zingers are little things. Is that, that just to keep you out there longer? Yes. <laughs> also. Uh, <laughs> no, that's not what they <laughs> Well, Sims does make a product called uh, a fish whistle. Can you guess what that is? Um, uh, it's only no. legal to use in Washington, Oregon. It's, it's, it's not dynamite, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's like a little tiny uh, container for like a glass pipe and like a little nug jug. Really? Yep. It's called a fish whistle. So you won't get in trouble for uh, uh, contraband, and what is it? It starts with a P, paraphernalia? I, yeah, I guess so. I don't know what the legalities are in wilderness areas. I guess it's still technically public domain, so I don't know if you're allowed or not. But if you want a fish whistle, I don't Sims think makes the people them. that are going to do it are really going to care if they're allowed to or not anyway. Yeah, probably not. So... <laughs> all right. I've I've got all my stuff and it looks like to me that if you had $500, you'd be set and ready to go. With that's license and everything, right? Yeah, and I mean, you don't even have to go that much, I don't think. You don't it, think? If you got like well, I said, we're we're at like 300 maybe on the we're like 350 on the rod reel and fly line. Yeah. So that's that's pretty that's close. Be your main, and then the rest is and you're going to need waders, I'm assuming, right? You don't you, need them, but you you're, you could get them that definitely makes it more comfortable because sure. uh a key to fly fishing is good clean clear water which usually means cold water even in the summertime so if you get yourself a pair of waders and wading boots it's definitely going to be more comfortable and typically safer because those wading boots grip the slimy rocks that you're going to be walking on in the streams but you absolutely do not have to have them you could go out there in a pair of chacos and some shorts and be good (laughs) i've done it many times it's it's slick, but you can do it. Well, cool. Half a page, not even half a paycheck, and you can be out fly, fly fishing. Yeah, and like I said, if you got that Encounter series from Orvis, I think that's like 170 bucks for the rod, reel, fly line, and a leader on it. Um, and then Reddington makes one that's called the Crosswater. I bought one for my nephew, so I got him his first fly fishing setup, and we're going to go this summer. And I think I spent like $150 on that. Okay. So you you can do it for relatively cheap. Well, that's pretty neat. Yeah. Okay, so we've got all our equipment. We're out there. We found some water, and we've – how do you – I've heard there's, like, special ways to cast. What's, like – if I wanted to just go out and start, can you describe, like, the basic cast? Well, it's tough to explain okay. over the radio, but sure. what I would say is... Describe it with your hands. <laughs> that was the sound of your hands. That's amazing. Uh, what I would tell you to do <laughs> so is, fast. is go either get signed up with a ca- uh, class and have somebody teach you how to do it, which there are those. I mean, you could go... Um, to one of your local fly shops like North 40 and they can teach you or you can uh, do like what I did and I just hopped on to YouTube and 
watch somebody cast and sort of learn the basics. And after you can cast within a relatively good distance from you, 20, 30 feet, which is typically how far you're probably going to cast, um, and you want to get a little bit more distance, you could learn how to do what's called the double haul. Oh. So that's where you're kind of yo-yoing the line in your hands together to just get a little bit more line out. I think I saw that in A River Runs Through It. You may have. Yeah. I am not confident I'm in just going to watch that movie again, and that, that'll, t- that'll teach me. I think there's like five minutes total of actual fly fishing in that movie, but if you watch it, you should be set. Okay, good. <laughs> I haven't seen it in like... <laughs> I 10, 15 years. I haven't either. It's just for jokes. Uh, <laughs> but it might work. I don't it know. It might work. But anyway. Yeah. So let's assume we can cast and I've caught a fish. What do I do? I've got so, a fish on the line. I'm not going to reel it in. Right. So first and foremost, I mean, you obviously want to consider the fact that that fish is a living animal. And unless you plan to eat it, you should definitely give it back to the water where it came from. Well, Kurt Cobain said that fish don't have any feelings. Something in the way of that, Brian. <laughs> no, you're right. You're going to want to treat these animals with respect and, uh, yeah, just, I mean, all, just all around respect, you know? Yeah. So that's where your net's going to come in handy um, because it's just going to be a little bit gentler experience for the fish to go from the water to being handled. It's going to be contained. You're not going to have um, as much of a risk of like, flopping it around in your hands and dropping it on the rocks. Yeah, and you're not going to want to handle it too much either. No. And before you handle any fish, what you're going to want to do is wet your hands. Mm. And that's to prevent this protective slime that's on a fish from coming off. And it helps to get the keep the fish from getting like infections. Um, you definitely want to wet your hands first. But another thing that you want to do is always support the fish. Like, let's say you're dying to take a picture of it. Do not pick up the fish by its jaw and hold it out from your body. It's going to break that fish's jaw. Right. Well, what if we got you and I held you out by your jaw? Exactly. A couple feet off the ground. It's not going to be good for me either. (laughs) No, that would be interesting. So you do want to probably hold the fish's jaw with your hand um, and then... Hold it by either the belly or the tail. Just Mm. make sure that it's supported. You can grab the tail and then put one hand under its belly. But always, like I said, make sure your hands are wet and treat that fish really gently. You can also wear, like, special gloves that would prevent that fish from losing its slime on your hands. Um, And then when you get ready to return that fish to the water, just make sure it's ready. It's probably going to be pretty exhausted after you fought it. Oh, on that, on well, that yeah, line. and you're probably going to be a little tired, too. And so you just, you know, take a break, look at it for a while. Yep. It's probably just floating around in your net or whatever. Yeah, keep it in the water, um, or you can hold on to its tail and, again, support it under with one hand and the tail. And it'll let you know when it's ready to go. That fish, when it's ready to go, will take off. And okay. it should be pretty easy to tell that that fish is just going to swim away just fine. Yeah, and again, we're using a, a barbless hook. Yeah, you. that's yeah. good point. You always want to crimp your barbs, and that just means taking a pair of pliers and smashing this additional little hook that sticks out. It goes from... the opposite direction of the main hook. Exactly. Yeah, and it's like cheat grass. Yep, Yeah. and it's just to ensure that the fish stays on better. Um, the reason why we pimp... Pimp? pimp. The reason why... <laughs> 
we're going to pimp your bars. <laughs> hey, uh, we're getting an insight into Drew's life here. <laughs> the reason why you crimp them is not only for the fish, but for you as well. Uh, you, if you crimp that bar, it's likely that, that fish is probably going to survive for sure, almost, probably 95% or higher, um, assuming that you fought it correctly, uh, because you're just hooking into cartilage, essentially. You're not really damaging that fish any other way. Right. Um, and another reason why you you want to crimp the barbs is because let's say that you're a horrible caster or you tie on a fly that's way too big because you're just a beginner and you don't know any better, you might stick yourself. And if you stick yourself and you have a barb on your hook, it's guaranteed you're going to have to go get... Done that. You're going to have to go get a doctor to remove that. Did that. If you smash the barb... It'll pull right out. You nope. can back it out. It's stuck in there. Yeah. And Real good. I'm sure it sucked. He had a special tool, and it was like hollow, and it went in my thumb, Ooh. and then it went over the barb, and then he could pull it all out, and wow. it was disgusting and painful. Huh. I bet it was. I can't imagine. Well. So definitely get get your barbs crimped. And then also, um, this is something that I didn't talk about earlier with your accessories, but now that I'm thinking about it in regards to the barbs. Oh, maybe is, a little first aid kit? Well, you could have that. It wouldn't hurt, but uh, a good pair of sunglasses. Right. So yeah. the sunglasses are going to provide eye protection, first and foremost, from the fly if it does come back in your face. And then also, if you get a polarized pair of sunglasses, it's going to make a whole difference in you being able to see where your fly is. And where it's floating down the water, which is key to dry fly fishing and uh, key to reading the water, which is what we're going to talk about next. So when when you're reading the water, it means sort of examining the spaces that you feel like there's going to be fish. So you're going to look for a few things. You're going to look for seams. And that's where the water is going to flow out from behind different structure uh, uh if there's a boulder in the middle of the water you're gonna see a little ripple coming around it exactly yep and it's likely that there's gonna be fish there you can also fish structure so that rock itself is gonna have fish probably above it and below it so if you place your fly in either of those places likely that you're gonna get a strike um but you could also look for structure like shade a lot of fish are gonna hang out in cooler water so if there's shade um, let's say a log that's partially in the, in the water, it's going to provide a great place for that fish to hide out and be safe. Okay. Um, and another thing to consider here is that trout, which is typically what you're going to be fly fishing for, they're, they're a predatory animal and they ambush their prey a lot. So they're going to hide under something or behind something and wait for something to come by that they can eat, come out from that structure, go grab it and return to the structure. So... Again, shade, rocks, trees, docks even in some cases, um, a whole host of things. Um, another thing that you're going to want to look for in terms of streams, if you're not in a still water situation like a lake, right, is foam. The foam. F- foam, yeah. Foam is home. Foam is aerated water where it's moving um, pretty quickly where that, that fish is going to get good oxygenated cool water. So if you see in a seam a little bit of foam, that's a good place to plant your fly. Interesting. Foam is home. Foam is home. I like that. Made in the shade. Foam is home. So I've got a friend, Blake Anderson. I went to grade school with him until Mm -hmm. sixth grade when his family moved to McCall. 
And he's a big fly fisher. If you check him out on Instagram, he's at uh, flyfish.idahome. He has amazing pictures of some of the fish that he's caught. And he's out there all the time. And I highly recommend following his Instagram page because they're beautiful fish. Yeah, he, I don't know him personally, but I, after you showed me his Instagram, he looks like a hell of an angler. He catches some great fish. Um, and Instagram is a kind of a good segue into our next thing that we're going to talk about, which is resources. Yeah. So, okay. I, this is nice of we, maybe we've listened to this podcast and I still want to get into fly fishing. Mm -hmm. I want to go into, uh, uh, probably my best bet would just to start with. Yeah. There's some online resources, which we'll talk about, yep. but eventually you're going to have to step into a store. Yep. And when you step into a store, there's uh, there's a few things you're going to want to remember. And Drew, can you maybe talk us through some of that? Um, yeah, I mean, just kind of basic fly shop etiquette is pretty applicable to any store. You want to kind of go in maybe a little bit educated on what questions you might have to ask that person that is going to be helping you. Be open-minded to their suggestions or things that you maybe didn't consider. And be open-minded to other products that you necessarily weren't looking for or at because they might be better suited for what you're looking to fish for or use. And depending on what store you go to, they're gonna, you can ask the person. They're generally going to be pretty knowledgeable about fishing this area. Yeah, that's why they're a great resource. And, and obviously there's kind of a big joke in in fishing where like you don't tell anyone exactly where you go fishing so don't expect to go in and say hey tell me exactly where you fish and how to fish that spot a better thing to do is kind of say you know what are some headwaters that i could go to or some natural parks what are they called national parks mm -hmm. and just say kind of what areas this is kind of what fish i want to go for you know yep. with that little bit of pre educational stuff that you've done before you go in and then they're much more likely to open you up uh, open up and tell you about a little bit more specific areas yeah exactly and like i said be ready a little bit you don't want to go in and just say uh i'm fishing on tuesday and uh what flies do i need because it, it's going to depend on a number of things like i said what where are you going to go what time of day what uh fish are you after because different fish are going to feed on different things and throughout the day there's going to be different food available to them so where's a good spot to go to start getting educated before you actually step foot in the fly shop um i would do some research online um but i would also not be afraid to just go into the fly shop just go into the fly sure. shop and and be honest with them and say, hey, look, I, I have this sort of preliminary list of things that I've checked out, but I've never fly fished. So what, what would you recommend I get from your fly shop today to get started? Okay. Um, and even if you go in just as a beginner and maybe you're not ready to make a commitment to a rod and a reel and all that stuff, I don't know, maybe buy something small at least just kind of as a token of appreciation for their help and yeah, stuff sure get a license yeah just get a fishing license yeah perfect um, that's a great place to start but you're going to develop rapport with these people in this fly shop and they're going to be kind of your your go-to fish info buddies and keep in mind that those people are probably excited to discuss fly fishing or else they wouldn't be there 
Right. So don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to go in there. When you were saying a, a fly shop would be a good place to go to learn how to cast. Sure. Or if you're really eyeing a rod and a reel that you're not positive about whether you want to buy it or not, go check it out at your fly shop and see if you can go cast it. See if you can try out these products before you buy them. And most places are going to be happy to let you do that. Oh, yeah. And think of it from the employee's perspective. They get to go outside for a little bit and just watch someone cast. That's kind of a cool break or, you know. Yep, exactly. So around here, some good fly shops to check out are North 40 Outfitters in Lewiston. There's Sportsman's Warehouse in Lewiston. Um, And then if you want to travel out to Peck in Idaho, there's uh, the Red Shed Fly Shop. He's kind of more oriented towards what we talked about before, which is spay casting or two-handed fly fishing Oh, right. for steelhead. But he still has a lot of knowledge and a lot of product that he could help you with. Um, then sort of also around our area, you could go to Moscow, and you could check out Tri-State Outfitters. Um, you could also check out White Pine Outfitters. And I stopped up in there, what was it, last Saturday? Yeah. And they just moved. So they're kind of getting everything set up, but... Apparently, their fly setup should be up and running by the end of this month. Where were they at again? Uh, It's in Moscow. Okay. Yeah. And they have more than just fly fishing stuff. It's kind of like a secondhand outdoor retail space. So it's a really cool place to check out and definitely drive up there and take a look. But otherwise, if you aren't ready to go to a fly shop or you just want to learn a little bit more um, at home, there's plenty of online resources you can, of course, use Instagram. There's plenty of people on there. They're fly fishing. But otherwise, um, Kelly Gallup is a really experienced fly fisher. He's, a, he's been a guide for decades and a fly shop owner. And he has a YouTube channel. Um, it's called The Slide In, which is the name of his outfitting company. Um, tons of info about <clears throat> excuse me, about fly tying. Uh, fly fishing in general, he's sort of known as being the the godfather of modern streamer fishing, which, again, is something you'll probably learn about further on down the road. Okay. But check him out. Um, there's a fly shop out of Ohio that's called Mad River Outfitters. They have by far and away the best YouTube channel for information about getting started in fly fishing. They have a whole series on it. So if you don't feel like you know enough now from this episode – Go watch that series. It's been totally invaluable to me and my learning experience of getting into fly fishing. Um, there's also Red's Fly Shop. Um, that's a fly shop that's in Ellensburg. They're right on the Yakima River, and they have guiding services, but they also have a really good YouTube channel. So check that out. Um, yeah, and a guided fishing trip. I don't know if there are a lot kind of near here, but it might be a good way to go out and get started. I and, and I'm assuming places that guide, you could probably also rent equipment. Totally. And the the really valuable thing about having a guide is it's going to expedite your learning curve by probably years in one weekend. That person that's going to be your guide is very knowledgeable, very experienced, and they're going to show you how to cast better, how to read the water better, what flies to use in what situations, and why. So, yeah, getting a guide would be ideal. If you have the extra money and time to go do that, I would highly recommend it. And like I said, Red's Fly Shop is really not that far and really not that expensive, and I believe they have accommodations there as well. Wow. 
So that's a good resource. And also one that I've recently got into is the Wet Fly Swing podcast. Um, I listen to it on Apple Podcasts. I imagine it's available a number of different places, but... um, Wet fly swing. So do yep. you know what that, like, you as a fish, uh, uh, fly fisher, do you mm-hmm. kind of know what that, they're referring to with that name? Yeah. Because so, I have no idea. So when you're swinging a fly, okay, it's it's drifting that fly underwater. Oh. And it, you're using a wet fly okay. to swing that fly. Sure. So that's where that name comes from. Show off. (laughs) (laughs) And then another really good one to check out. uh, This will be the last one that I recommend here just because I could go on all day. But the new Fly Fisher is a great channel to check out on YouTube. I don't know for certain if they're like a straight up Orvis entity, but a lot of the products and services and stuff they recommend are through Orvis or Orvis. guiding lodges and that kind of thing and they're typically in canada when they're up there fishing in like the algoma region but again super good resource so check that one out too and that's the new fly fisher on youtube but uh that's kind of it i hope that helps uh, well i definitely feel much better about it i mean i feel more confident if i wanted to go out and do some fly fishing mm-hmm. I, f- I feel like that that's a good rundown it's yeah, a good rundown. I mean, it's not it's not too hard. It's not too complicated. I think there are certain people in the fly fishing community that uh, get a lot of pleasure or pride in thinking that it's this really hard, difficult thing. It's not. You can go do it. Uh, you should go do it. It's a lot of fun. It helps you connect to nature in a new way. It helps you think about conservation and why it's you know, paramount that we preserve our natural landscapes and our public lands. Um, I I love fly fishing. Can't say enough about it. Okay. Well, Drew, let me ask you this. What are your three favorite uh, bodies of water to fish and get as specific on location as you feel comfortable? I probably won't do that. But bodies of water, you don't tell me what... uh, Are the streams that small? Or I mean, like... They're you won't even tell small. me a whole river that you fish in? The clear water. Okay. The snake. Sure. Um, All right, uh, fine. What are your three favorite fish to catch? Oh, man. You can't even mention a creek. <laughs> I don't even believe it. Go out and find them. You'll find them. And, and, I mean, it's not that big of a secret anymore. But get creative with where you go fish. That's what I would say. Because, A, you don't want to crowd the stream with you know, unnecessary extra amounts of people being there because it's not going to be fun for you. It's not going to be fun for them. So get creative, go to places that people aren't always going to be. Um, but I mean, you'll definitely find the places around here that are the most popular. Yeah. But well, three favorite fish and their scientific names. I, I don't know the scientific (laughs) names, but probably three of my favorite fish to catch are, are brook trout. They're really small, but they fight really aggressively. And what's what's maybe the difference between a brook trout and a bull trout? Oh, a lot. So a brook trout is typically going to be in a really small mountain stream that's going to be, I don't know, maybe four feet across, five feet across, really small typically. And the fish itself is going to be maybe anywhere from four inches to 10 inches 
Oh, wow. So it's pretty small. It's not to say that there aren't huge brook trout. It's just rare. But the brook trout fight pretty hard. They fight really hard. They're a type of char as well. So they taste really well. The bag limit on them is like 25 a day. So if you want to catch them and cook them and eat them, they're delicious. There's tons of them. I don't really do that, but you can. Um, But the difference between that and a bull trout is a bull trout is a lot bigger of a fish. Okay. Um, Typically, they're going to be more carnivorous Hmm. than a brook trout. They've got more opportunities to eat other fish. That's also something to think about when when you're fishing. Um, any kind of fishing is that all fish can and do eat other fish. Nice. So, and, and like I said, I think about them more in terms of being like a shark. They're like a predator. They're going to go eat bigger fish or smaller fish than they are to become a bigger fish. Right. Anything above like 18 inches is a really predatory fish and it's going to be focusing on eating frogs, baby birds that fell out of the nest and, Stuff like sculpin or really juvenile rainbow trout or even not so juvenile rainbow trout. I was listening to Kelly Gallup talk about um, his taxidermy work and going into some of these brown trout and looking in their stomachs and they will have like 10, 12 inch rainbow trout in their stomach, three or four of them. (laughs) And I mean, you're talking about a trout that's probably close to 30 inches in size. It's a big guy. When it gets to that point. Yeah, definitely. So... I mean, that's something to consider. They are predatory animals. All right. Brook trout, what's your second favorite fish? Probably bull trout. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I nailed it. Uh, ESP. And I love rainbows as well. Rainbow trout are really fun to fight. They're really energetic. They usually hop out of the water three or four times before you land them. And are they the most uh, pretty fish as well? Uh, I don't know. I really think brook trout might be the most pretty, but I kind of like them all. Mm. Brown trout are really cool. So if you were an artist a la Bob Ross, you would prefer to paint the brook trout. I think so. Mm. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, Drew. And I just want to thank everyone for listening this week. I hope you feel like you can go out and do some fly fishing yourself. I sure do. Yeah. And if you have questions about it further and you want to reach out to us, email us at yeah, oldspiralpodcast at gmail.com. Facebook also. Yep. Uh, Drew, do you have any pictures of uh, some fly fishing stuff you'd like to post onto the Old Spiral Instagram? Yeah, I'll throw a couple nice. up there. And... I'll be looking forward to that. Yeah, you guys can check it out. Okay. Hey, and I just wanted to say next week, if everything goes right, we have our first artist spotlight. We're going to keep the guest a secret, but this is uh, one of a series that we're going to start where we bring in a local artist, musician, craftsman, Writer. Writer, whatever. Uh, So we've got our first one next week. So tune in to learn more about a local artist where you can find their art and who it is. (laughs) Yeah, it should be really fun. Yeah. Okay, Drew, anything else you want to add today? I don't think so. Thank you, everyone. (laughs) 